between the years when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of, when shining kingdoms lay spread across the world. Hither came Conan, the Cimmerian, sword in hand. It is I, his chronicler, who knows well his saga. Now let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Welcome back to Hither Came Conan. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and it all starts here, folks. I know that's kind of weird to say, considering that this is episode number five, but I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. And an elephant's faithful 100%. Anyway, today's the day, and this is the episode in which we begin our trek, our comic book journey, you could say, through the Hyborian Age with Conan the Barbarian, issue number one for Marvel Comics. But how about first we do a little listener's Listener's feedback. feedback. So the day that episode four dropped, I got a nice email from listener Greg Hersom, and it was just too good not to share. Greg says, dude, just a quick shout out. I loved Hither Came Conan episode four. You have some stiff competition out there for Conan podcasts, and they're doing a similar thing of discussing the original Howard Conan stories. You including the comics is an awesome idea. I've been wanting that. I love all things Robert E. Howard and Conan. All respect for Robert E. Howard. He did for the fantasy genre what Black Sabbath did for rock music. However, Like you said, if it wasn't for the comics, we probably wouldn't even be discussing Conan or Howard today. No one will ever touch Howard's Conan or any of his other characters, but it's the comics, movies, and pastiche that keep Conan alive. I feel like some purists try to gatekeep somewhat. However, in my mind, Conan should be right up there with the greatest literary characters, the likes of Sherlock Holmes, Tarzan, Frankenstein, Dracula, etc. But the only way that will happen is if we embrace it all, the good, the bad, and ugly. I, for one, can't get enough, and it seems like we might be on the cusp of a sword and sorcery resurgence. And where goes sword and sorcery, hither goes Conan. See what I did there? Keep the faith and continue with your good works. Fortune and glory, Greg Hersom. Greg, I'm really bad at saying thank you on these episodes when I when I thank somebody for for feedback like that because for some reason even though it's like one of the single most sincere things I've ever said it always comes out fake or at least it sounds fake on a lot of these shows but I do want to thank you for the email I was literally bopping and bobbing all over the place after reading that email the other night Now, Greg, I'd like to say that this episode is a direct response to your email, but I, I'd be lying and I don't want to do that. Regardless, I think talking about these Conan comics, starting with the Marvel run, is going to be a lot of fun. And I have to tell you, and when I say you at this point, I'm talking to all of you, not just Greg, but I have to tell you that this episode is probably going to run on the long side. I mean, that makes sense for a first episode, right? 
There's a great big bunch of stuff to cover when it comes to character and the world and all that stuff, which I won't have to cover again when it comes to other issues, issues two, three, four, you know, not like I'm going to have to in this episode. And that's just going to stretch it out quite a bit. But you know what? I think it's still going to be a lot of fun. It's not going to be boring in the least. I say that with utmost confidence and a cockiness that I normally don't exude. And actually, now now that I think about it, I'm sitting here adding length to the episode just so I can tell you that it's going to be long and to try and justify why it's going to be long. And now I'm adding even more length by explaining to you that I'm explaining to you that it's going to be long and justifying it and all that stuff. And and, 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 uh, I'm freaking out. Welcome to my brain, folks. Anyway, thanks once again for the email, Greg. If anyone wants to send in feedback or questions or whatever, the address is stephenorelse at gmail.com. That will be in the show notes. Send me an email and I'm going to share it on a future episode. Unless, of course, you ask me not to. Okay, so where were we? Enough talk. Oh, yeah. Conan the Barbarian issue number one was published by Marvel Comics. It had a cover date of October 1970, but it hit the stands in July. The issue sports a cover price of 15 cents, and the title of the story is The Coming of Conan. It was written by Roy Thomas, pencils by Barry Windsor Smith, inks by Dan Adkins, and the letterer was Sam Rosen. So if you've listened to other podcasts I've done over the past I don't know, six months or so in which I'm going through a a single issue of a comic, then you kind of already know what to expect here with with this episode and and further episodes in which I'm discussing these single issues. If not, then let me fill you in. First, I like to give a synopsis of the issue. I either take that from somewhere online, such as marvelfandom.com, or I write up the synopsis myself. Typically, it's a combination of both. For this issue and, and, and this episode, I wrote the entire synopsis up all by myself. I, I did it all by myself. And I did that because, frankly, I wanted to do something special for each and every one of you, considering that this is, as I said, a first issue episode. That being said, I don't know that I'm going to have the time nor the strength to write up a new synopsis for each episode going forward. So enjoy it while you can, because I will probably just grab the synopsis from MarvelFandom.com and do some editing. Anyway, following the synopsis, I will then give my thoughts on the issue, which usually involves me flipping through the book, even though it's digital, and then pointing out whatever comes to mind. And that's it. It's pretty simple, but I think it comes out as something quite fun. Anyway. Our story opens in Vanaheim. It's summer, and summer means raiding parties, and not the kind with chips and salsa and all that, though. (laughs) That would be pretty fun to see in a Conan comic. You don't even know, dude. No, this is a war party, a big bevy of bare-chested blonde barbarians from nearby Asgard. They are the Aesir, and they have come to make war upon the Vanir, the ginger warriors of Vanaheim. Among the fighting lads of Asgard is young Conan, just 20 years old, a barbarian mercenary from Samaria, who, having just joined the Asgardian ranks that very morning, shows that he's got skills, earning that icer cheddar as he kills a Vanir warrior named Gondor before saving the life of the icer leader, Olav. Soon the Vanir are in retreat, 
And for a moment, Conan takes command, stopping the Icer from giving chase. Olav, annoyed at Conan's impertinence, can't help but agree with the youth, telling his warriors that now is the time to bind their wounds and bury their dead. Soon they will take the fight to the Vanir. As they chill, Olav uses the time to get to know Conan, asking the youth why he joined the Icer over the Vanir. Conan's answer is simple. The Icer pay more. Meanwhile, at the Vanir camp, as the weary ginger fighters lick their wounds, their leader, Volf, looks down at his men from above. He's up there in the rocks, overlooking the camp, and wearing a wolf's head atop his own like a cowl, he's hanging with his homie Hothar, lamenting the fact that they're all going to be dead by morning. Gonder, it seems, the Vanir that Conan took out, was Volf's most skilled warrior. The rest of his men are cutthroats, used to killing from the shadows. And now that there no longer remains a soldier who's enough of a badass to go toe-to-toe with Olav, Conan, and the rest, Volf and Hothar decide to abandon the men and flee, lest they die right along with them. And so, telling his men that they're going to go off to consult with the gods, Volf and Hothar beat feet into the boat. Soon, the cowardly Volf and his craven companion come upon a cave with strange symbols painted on the stone above the entrance. Giving over to their curiosity, the two enter and find a massive temple inside. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. Within the temple, Volf and Hothar find a skinny old man and a young woman. The old man, who calls himself Sharkosh the Shaman, tells the two that their coming was foretold, shown to him in a vision when last he gazed into the Star Stone, a large gem the size of his head that he explains fell from the sky many years ago. Volf hopes that Skarkosh can call upon the forces within the Star Stone to help him defeat the Icer, and the Shaman tells him that he can do just that, but for a price. Sharkosh is in need of a strong, young warrior, one who is far mightier than either of them. And rather than taking offense, Volf offers up Conan to the old man. But, Volf wonders, if Skarkosh is really a shaman with a powerful magic gem, why does he need a strong warrior? Skarkosh tells him to mind his own business. Mind your own business! That getting a hold of a mighty warrior like Conan is not for him, but for the young woman at his side. His handmaiden, whose smile, he says, has made more bearable an old man's self-exile. And so the shaman works his mojo, chanting away in an ancient, evil language of magic. I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is our pal. Meanwhile, Conan and the crew come upon the Vanir camp and the battle begins anew when suddenly a trio of winged demons appear and attack everyone. The demons kill Olav and then go for Conan, taking him up into the air only to let him go. Conan smashes back down to earth, blacking out. He awakens to find himself inside Skarkosh the Shaman's cave temple. With him in the cage is Terra, the old wizard's handmaiden. Outside are Volf and Hothar, along with the old man and the three demons he had summoned forth using the Star Stone. Speaking to Terra... When Conan refers to Skarkosh as a sorcerer, Terra corrects him, explaining that the old man's power comes not from within, but from the Star Stone, making him not so much a sorcerer or a wizard, which is why he calls himself a shaman. Speaking of the old man, as Conan is getting to know Terra, 
the shaman kicks off a bit more of his magical shenanigans, dancing about the Starstone and calling upon it to show the two Vanir men, Valf and Hothar, a demonstration of its power because, well, Valf and Hothar don't believe the stone can do much of anything. Suddenly, the Starstone shows everyone within the cave temple visions of the past, projecting the images out into the open air. They see the mighty kingdom of Volusia in the days when Atlantis still stood. They see Cole, the Atlantean barbarian who became king of Volusia, and watch as the oceans drink Atlantis. They see a baby born on a battlefield in Samaria not 20 winters past. They see the baby grow into a man, a warrior, and as the visions move from past to future, they watch as the warrior takes up the crown of a mighty Hyborian empire, placing it upon his head. The warrior king from the vision is Conan, and Skarkosh grows restless, confused. How can the Starstone show a vision of Conan's future when the shaman plans to sacrifice the barbarian youth, stealing his future? The visions continue, and they watch in awe as mankind enters another Stone Age following some great disaster, forming men to rise from the mud once again, clawing their way from the primitive slime to creating wonders like the pyramids in Egypt to space travel. Volf and Hothar freak out, begging Skarkosh to make it stop, exclaiming that they were not meant to see such things. But it's too late. The visions have driven the old man insane. It's a manhouse! A manhouse! Conan, in the meantime, ignoring what the Starstone has to show, is able to break the wooden bars on his cage, bursting his way into freedom. Not wasting any time, Conan goes straight for the Starstone, lifting it from its home and throwing it at the wall. The stone explodes, knocking the Vanir men and the demons from their feet. Conan grabs up Terra and makes his escape. Meanwhile, in the cave temple, with the Starstone destroyed, the three demons are pulled back into the netherworld from whence they came. Conan, the girl still in his arms, leaps into the open air, escaping the cave just in the nick of time as it explodes behind them killing those left within. The Sumerian doesn't have long to celebrate, however, as Terra berates him, calling him a fool for dooming her, telling him that he doesn't understand. And as Conan watches in gate-mouthed horror, she transforms into one of the winged demons. Terra, it turns out, is from the same dimension as the three demons whom Skarkosh had called from the Starstone. Conan was meant to take her place, to be transferred into the Starstone, so that Kara could remain on Earth, living the rest of her life as a human. With the Starstone destroyed, however, her fate has become that of her fellow demons, and Conan is helpless as she fades away, leaving this plane of existence forever. Conan, now alone, ruminates on the vision shown to him by the Starstone, an older vision of himself placing a crown upon his head. But before he can dwell on it too much, the image fades from his mind, as he walks away into the night. And that's how the issue ends. So my thoughts on the issue, uh, let's start with the cover and actually just the art in general, because when I started digging into these original Conan books and I had learned that Barry Windsor Smith was the artist, I was pretty psyched. But once I really started digging in, I discovered that this is not the Barry Windsor Smith that I'm used to. The First Barry Windsor Smith comic I ever remember reading also happens to be my most 
single favorite comic book issue of all time, and that is Uncanny X-Men number 205 from February of 1986. Now, that issue was written by Chris Claremont, and the art was Barry Windsor Smith, but he didn't just provide the pencils. He also did the inks and the colors, and it is a beautiful book. It's absolutely gorgeous, and again, it's one of my single most favorite comic book issues. If you've not read it, it's called Wounded Wolf, and in a nutshell, the story takes place on a single night in New York City just before Christmas in the middle of a snowstorm. Uh, Wolverine has been attacked by Lady Deathstrike and three cyborg henchmen, wounding him severely enough that his healing factor has to work overtime, and that turns him feral. And so in this animal state, he's found by Katie Powers. She's the youngest sibling of the Power Pack, and she helps him as he heals. And again, I'll say it one more time. It's my most single favorite comic book issue ever. And it's an issue that I think everybody needs to read. But the art is a far cry from what we get out of Barry Windsor Smith in this Conan issue. Granted, we're talking about a span of 16 years from this Conan issue to that issue of X-Men. But if you go into Conan, knowing that these first 16 issues or so are done by Barry Windsor Smith, and like me, you're expecting an X-Men 205 level of art, you're going to be disappointed. I'm not saying it's bad. Not really. It's just not the Barry Windsor Smith that he will eventually come to be. In fact, if I didn't know any better, if I hadn't been told who the artist was on this issue, I just would have assumed that it was Jack Kirby, which reminds me that a number of months back, I listened to an episode of Rob Servations. That's uh, Rob Liefeld's podcast. And he was talking about Barry Windsor Smith and some kind of grudge that BWS had against him and Todd McFarlane and all those image guys back in the 90s. And he refers to Barry Windsor Smith, or at least his early career, his, his you know, very early on in his career, like around the time of these Conan issues, he refers to him as a Kirby clone. And after reading this issue, I, I have found that, that that's a very accurate description. Again, I'm not saying it's bad. I actually quite enjoyed the art in this issue. It's, it's again, it's not the Barry Windsor Smith that he will become. You do kind of see that, though, as I've started flipping through some of the issues. You, you do see that as the Conan series progresses, his art improves and he becomes more Barry Windsor Smith-like, but he's very much Jack Kirby in this first issue. I mean, there are hints. You can see Barry Windsor Smith poking out, you know, coming out of that Jack Kirby shell, but He's got a ways to go before he reaches that level that he gets to by 1986. Now, there's really only a couple of things out of the issue that I really kind of want to point out. Uh, I want to make sure to mention that at least twice in this issue, Roy Thomas specifies, he, he, he kind of in a roundabout way tells us that the veneer are the bad guys. He does that by throwing out a couple of lines here and there that tell us that really the only reason that the Icer are attacking the Vanir, why they have gone into the land of the, uh, you know, into Vanaheim and attacked the, the Vanir. It's not because they're out for plunder or for sport or anything like that. They're, they're doing it because the Vanir attacked them first. The Vanir started to raid into Asgard, killing people and blah, blah, blah. And so the Icer have basically come in to uh, seek revenge or, or something like that. So it 
you know, you think about that and you realize that, all right, so I guess we're supposed to think of the Aesir as the, the, the good guys, which is why Conan is fighting with them. Not because they pay more. Yeah, he says that, but he's kind of like Han Solo, right? No, not really. That's, that's just kind of, it's kind of the idea almost, I feel like Roy Thomas is trying to give us. He doesn't want Conan to come off as a bad guy right off the bat in the first issue, but he wants to show you that Conan isn't necessarily a super good guy either. Crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and they hear the lamentation of your women. The only other thing I really wanted to talk about in this issue, and uh, this may take a bit, was the, uh, the visions that we see from the Star Stone. Uh, I wanted to point those out basically because they give us a very, 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 very brief glimpse of Conan's world history and uh, the future. If I had read this issue, heck, even a few months back, that entire scene wouldn't have meant all that much to me. But now, as I'm learning more about Conan and Robert E. Howard and all that, and really, I'm just getting my feet wet by this point, but as I'm dipping my toes into all that stuff, I've picked up a bit on what a lot of that was that we saw in those visions. But first, if we go back to the opening page of the issue, we get this scroll there next to the, the Conan, a scroll, a paper thing, not a scroll, S-C-R-O-L-L, not S-K-R-U-L-L. Anyway, the opening of the scroll says, come with us to the Hyborian Age. Now, bear with me here, because I'm going to try and give you all a history lesson, albeit a, a fictional history. And if you know this stuff already, I hope I don't bore you too much. And I especially hope I don't get anything wrong. But if you don't know this stuff, it's great stuff to know. It's all about the world building and, and all that junk, which, which I just love. Anyway, the Hyborian Age, as mentioned there on the opening page of the issue, is the fictional universe in which all of the Conan stories take place, which, despite being fictional, is actually meant to be a part of our prehistory, like taking place anywhere from 10 to 20,000 years ago. The Hyborian Age is also the title of an essay Robert E. Howard wrote in the early 30s. The essay wasn't written to necessarily be published. I mean, it was, just not in Howard's lifetime. But the Hyborian Age essay was basically like what we would call a series Bible that they use now for TV. But of course, it's a series Bible for the Conan stories. In other words, it was meant to be a tool, something that Howard could refer to as he continued to write his Conan stories in order to maintain continuity in, you know, in regard to the history and the culture of the, the various peoples that populated this time in prehistory. But it also was used to maintain consistency with the geography as well. So with that in mind, let me read you a bit from the Phoenix on the Sword. Now, if you've listened to that episode, you'll know that this was one of the first Conan stories Howard wrote and the first one that was published. The bit I'm going to read here is how the Phoenix on the Sword opens. And Howard actually has it attributed to a fictional history document or, or whatever called the Nemedian Chronicles. It should also sound very familiar because it's used to form the opening narration of both of the movies, Conan the Barbarian and Conan the Destroyer, the latter of which is used in the intro of these episodes. Anyway, here goes. 
Know, O prince, that between the years when the oceans drank Atlantis and the gleaming cities, and the years of the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of, when shining kingdoms lay spread across the world like blue mantles beneath the stars. Nemedia, Ophir, Brithunia, Hyperborea, Zamora with its dark-haired women and towers of spider-haunted mystery, Zingara with its chivalry, Koth that bordered on the pastoral lands of Shem, Stygia with its shadow-guarded tombs, Harkania, whose riders wore steel and silk and gold. But the proudest kingdom of the world was Aquilonia, reigning supreme in the dreaming west. Hither came Conan, the Sumerian, black-haired, sullen-eyed, sword in hand, a thief, a reaver, a slayer, with gigantic melancholies and gigantic mirth, to tread the jeweled thrones of earth underneath his sandaled feet. And again, that's attributed to the Nemedian Chronicles, which is something that actually doesn't exist. Now, the scroll there on the first page of this comic is a bit similar, saying, Come with us to the Hyborian Age. Come with us back to the dark centuries between the sinking of Atlantis and the dawn of recorded time, to the days when the now-forgotten land of Aquilonia was the mightiest of nations, and a man's life was worth no more than the strength of his sword arm. Come with us to the raw, untamed world of Conan the Barbarian. So, again, we're told that this time in prehistory in which the Conan stories take place fall sometime after Atlantis sank into the ocean. This event, the sinking of the small island nation of Atlantis, it occurred during what Howard called the Thurian Age. In fact, it's one of the events that ends that particular fictional age. The Thurian Age is the time in which the coal stories take place, which is supposed to be like a hundred thousand years ago. Cole, if you're not aware, is another character that starred in various pulp stories created by Robert E. Howard. Uh, Cole was in Atlantean, which at the time, the Atlanteans were barbarians. And during his lifetime, Cole was a slave, a pirate, an outlaw, a gladiator, a soldier, and then finally a king, which sounds pretty familiar. I mean... Conan was all of those things, too. Conan just became a more popular character. In fact, if you haven't listened to the Phoenix on the Sword episode, here's a little tidbit for you. The Phoenix on the Sword, which is the first published appearance of Conan, actually started out as a Cole story called By This Axe I Rule, which had been rejected by the magazine or magazines that printed Howard's stories. Howard then reworked it and boom! Conan is born. Anyway, the sinking of Atlantis happens decades or possibly centuries after Cole passes away, and it's part of a cataclysmic event that hurdles all of mankind back into the Stone Age. Many thousands and thousands of years later, uh, or maybe a thousand years, they don't, they're not really clear. Howard never made it clear exactly when these timeframes occurred, but Eventually, mankind uh, makes a comeback, and that's when we enter into the Hyborian Age and we get Conan, who, according to the visions of the Starstone, was born on a battlefield and will eventually become a king. 500 years or so after Conan passes, the world sees another cataclysmic event, and from there, eventually, comes our civilization. 
We also see that in the Starstone visions when it shows man is hurled back into an age of stone and begins anew his slow upward climb, which is why in the visions we go from Stone Age man to ancient Egypt to men in space. I just I wanted to point that out because I rather enjoyed that bit of the issue, uh, even though it's just two pages. But there's just so much there. I mean, hundreds of thousands of years of history on the Earth and two cataclysmic events, which really was Roy Thomas doing a bit of world building, showing all of us, the readers, how much history there is behind Conan. You know, what came before and hinting at what's coming after without really giving you much of anything, unless you're already somewhat familiar with it all. And again, I think that's one of the reasons I really like that, because knowing that six months ago, a year ago, had I read this issue, I I just would have breezed through that section, those two pages. It wouldn't meant it wouldn't have meant a lot to me. I knew who Cole was. I've known about Cole for a long time. I I did get some Cole comics back in the 80s, just like I got some Conan comics back in the 80s. But beyond that, none of that would have really meant anything to me. But knowing some of this now, as I'm reading the short stories and well, again, I'm not reading them, I'm listening to them. And the audio book that I'm listening to has the essay, The Hyborian Age, in it. Now, if you're interested in that whole history, the Hyborian Age and the geography and the, the people that live in the various countries and, and all that junk, if you're interested in all that, I'm going to provide a couple links in the show notes. The Hyborian Age essay is available out there for free on various websites. Uh, so I will link to that. But if you don't want to read that whole thing over on, Co- I think it's just Conan.com. They, they kind of summarize that history and it's, 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 a, it's a little more condensed. I got more out of that on Conan.com that I did listening to the essay. Other than that, this was a, a, a really fun issue. I think I joked around when I posted about it on Twitter. I, I do the uh, My 500 comic goal. And whenever I read a comic or a trade, I, I put that up on Twitter and Spoutable and Instagram with the hashtag My 500 comic goal. And I state which comic I read. And then I always give a little blurb. And I think in this case, I said something like Conan be fighting monsters and wizards and such. And in a nutshell, that's pretty much what this issue was. And I think that's what a lot of the issues will be for the foreseeable future. Conan traveling around fighting monsters and wizards. But that's one of the many reasons I rather enjoy Conan. If you're reading these issues with me, I'd love to know what you thought when you read through this issue. Again, you can send me an email at Stephen or else at gmail.com. And if I get it fairly soon, I will include it in the next episode. Until then, folks, this has been Hither Came Conan. If you get that to me fairly soon after this issue goes up on Friday, May the 5th. Wow, that's Cinco de Mayo. If you get the email with your, you know, how you felt about the book, your thoughts on it and whatnot, if you get that to me fairly quickly after that episode goes up, I will include your email in the next episode. Uh, Otherwise, it'll go into a a, a further episode out. And so next week, we're going to keep moving forward with the 
Marvel Conan the Barbarian series with issue number two that has the greatest sword and sorcerer hero of all right at the top of the cover of issue number two. And that issue is entitled Lair of the Beastmen. And the cover has what appears to be these beastmen taking Conan into custody. And one of them is yelling, Die, manling! You are no match for the power of the beastmen! And then there's a, a little blurb at the bottom that says, In the cavern waits Doom! Which probably isn't Doctor Doom, which is what you'd expect from a Marvel comic, but... Even though they do eventually tell us that these Conan issues do happen in the Marvel 616 universe, just again in prehistory, I, I, I don't think Doctor Doom's going to be in that second issue. They would tell us right on the cover, guest starring Doctor Doom or Spider-Man or Wolverine, because they always eventually threw Spider-Man and Wolverine into the second issue of most comics just to get people to read them. Anyway, that's what we'll be doing next week. Until then, folks... This has been Hither Came Conan. I will talk to you all next week. Bye. Actually, you know what? I wanted to jump back in here because there is another aspect of this issue I wanted to talk about. I, I totally meant to talk about and totally forgot, but it's the look of Conan. I guess it kind of goes along with the, the, the conversation about the art, but it's the, it's the look of Conan and all the other characters in this story. now. I refer to the Acer in the synopsis as a big bevy of bare-chested blonde barbarians. And I, ha I wanted to make sure that I put bare-chested in there because nobody's wearing a shirt. And if you're familiar at all with Conan from the 80s in the comics from the 80s or just whatever you, I mean, if you go and do a search for Conan the Barbarian comic books, nine times out of 10, the image you're going to see, it's it's... Conan wearing like fur trunks, jockey shorts, you know, made of fur, uh, sandals or boots, but typically sandals that lace up his, you know, wrap around his calves. And that's what he's wearing here. But Barry Windsor Smith also gives him this helmet with two horns sticking out of the front of it, just like Star of the Slayer War. He's also got a gold belt, gold bracelet cuffs things and uh, a bunch of gold medallions on a chain that hang around his neck and as the story starts the like the first image you see of him is he's also wearing a fur cape but within like two pages he throws the cape off and we, we never see him wear it again the reason i pointed out is because all of these warriors whether they are the veneer or the acer i keep saying acer it's icer anyway regardless they're all basically wearing trunks, whether they're fur or leather or whatever. They're, they're all wearing basically these jockey shorts. Some of them are wearing little boots. Some of them aren't. Some of them are bare, you know, walking around in their bare feet, fighting in their bare feet. None of them have shirts on. And frankly, if it wasn't for the swords and the axes and such, at first glance, you would think that it's all a bunch of cavemen. I mean, I guess there's a couple of guys here that might have shirts on, but in general, nobody's wearing shirts. Most of them are, are barefooted. Uh, Volf has like these tiny little booties on. It's just such a weird creative choice when I think of Conan and the world he lives in. Olav is wearing boots, but it looks like a lot of the Vanir are not wearing boots. They're the ones that are going 
with bare feet. It's just, I don't know the, the very, so the very first page of this issue is kind of a splash page. It's got that scroll that I was talking about earlier that kind of introduces you to Conan. But then when you get to the first page of the actual story, it's just, it was a bit shocking to me when I first opened this up. Cause I thought, why is everybody, why did, why is he fighting cavemen? I don't know. I just thought that was weird. And I thought it was something that I, I should bring up because we are in the North. Granted, it says that it is now summer, that the snows have recently melted, but it's still got to be fairly cold. And all these dudes are, are running around basically in, in their tidy whities no shoes on and no shirts, but you know, they're fighting. That always keeps the blood up, keeps you warm, right? All right, that's all I got to talk about. Hither Came Conan is a Stephen or Else production. Find more podcasts at stephenorelse.com. Questions and comments can be directed to stephenorelse at gmail.com. Find me online at Twitter, Spoutable, and Instagram by searching for at stephenorelse. And join my newsletter, Stephen Says Stuff, at list.justanotherfanboy.com. This is a free substack where I will send every single podcast episode I host right to your inbox the morning that they are released. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Stephen R. Orr. And in return, I'm going to do my very best to give you and your fellow patrons podcast episodes just like this one before anybody else. I also encourage you to rate this show wherever available and share this episode with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. Did Conan fight? Honor and fear were heaped upon his name. In time, he became a king by his own hand. This story shall also be told.